Thank you, Dora and Karen. All right, here's where we are going today, if uh, headings are useful for you. My wife's older brother is a policeman, and uh, he's just a regular member of the family, uh, but you always have in the back of your mind that he is a cop. So over Christmas, I, we, uh, he and I played a game of golf together, and uh, I was the one driving to and from the course, and for some strange reason, in and you know, I was just extra careful to keep the speed limit that day, no idea why. Uh, but it must have come in handy for my wife when she was younger to have a policeman around. So, you know, if they were young and they went into the city late at night, you know how things can just get a little bit hairy. Could get a little bit dangerous with uh, other people around acting in silly ways. And uh, you can, you know, those situations, you can just be a little bit scared, a little bit on edge. I reckon if you were with him my brother-in-law, I think you'd feel safe. Uh, You know, things might still happen around, but you would know that uh, that he's trained to handle situations. You know, if he was just going out with you, you wouldn't know, and no one else would know that he's a cop, but you'd know, and that would make a difference. Well, in God's Word today, we'll see the difference it makes when we know Jesus in all his glory and that he is with you. I wonder we pray as we turn to God's word. Our Heavenly Father, help us today to see Jesus in all his glory from what you reveal to us in your word. And may that make the difference for us this week as we seek to put our trust in him. Amen. Uh, well, if you uh, were here last week, uh, we, we're returning to Mark's Gospel and uh, returning to, uh, from, from, from last year, we're halfway through and we're seeing Jesus as the servant king and Jesus probably gave some of his hardest, most shocking teaching to his disciples in last week's passage. It wasn't about sexuality, it wasn't about money, it was about him as the Messiah and them as disciples. Uh, About himself, last week he said, uh, as the Messiah, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. Now the apostle, the the disciple Peter, thought that the Messiah was going to be an all-conquering king coming in glory. But no, this Messiah, Jesus, was going to face rejection and suffering and execution. And last week about the disciples, Jesus taught, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It was a call to not follow ourselves and our own desires, but to follow Christ. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, come and die. Die to your own self-identity. Die to your own self-centeredness. It's a life full of death to self, of self-denial. They're two hard words, two difficult teachings from Jesus. And I reckon if, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't begrudge the disciples if they were feeling a little bit shell-shocked, a little bit rocked by 
what Jesus has said about himself and about all his followers. Maybe they were thinking, oh, is Jesus the Messiah that I want him to be? And of a life of self-denial, you know, you know, is this the life that I want to live? Wonder what you might be feeling if you were in the disciples' shoes at that time. And I reckon Jesus would have been sensing a, an increasing level of unease and uncertainty amongst his 12 disciples. And so, as we turn to our passage today, he takes a few of them on a hike up to a high mountain. If you've got a Bible there, uh, open again to Mark chapter 9. And firstly, we're going to look at what the disciples saw. So we're going to have a look at verse 2. So after six days from the difficult teaching, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him. So Peter, James and John, they're kind of Jesus' inner circle. These three were the only ones that Jesus uh, brought into Jairus' house when he raised Jairus' daughter from uh, from the dead. And uh, they will be the three that go with him to the innermost part of the Garden of Gethsemane later on. So they might be thinking, okay, maybe there's only three of us, maybe Jesus is going to show us something special. And then it goes on to say, he led them up a high mountain. Now, in the Bible, high mountains are a meeting point between God and people. Just like, as we saw end of last year, Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God. Uh, you know, this was the meeting, you know, this was where God and people did business or met. And so maybe the disciples, as they were walking step by step up the mountain, were growing in anticipation. What is, where is Jesus taking us? What is going to happen? And they get to the top. And something does happen. Have a look again. Uh, going on in verse two, it says, then he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Okay, out of this world things are happening here. Jesus was transfigured. That is, his appearance was dramatically changed. Uh, The word in the original language uh, is where we get the word metamorphosis from. And so just like a caterpillar is transfigured into a butterfly... Jesus was transfigured on this high mountain. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone could bleach them. So this is not a human level of whiteness here. Uh, Luke records in the same, uh, the same story that he, uh, the clothes were as bright as a flash of lightning, if you can imagine that. Matthew records that his face shone like the sun. And uh, later on in Jesus' story, when an angel spoke to the women at Jesus' empty tomb, guess how the angel's appearance was described? It says his appearance, the angel's, was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And so here we have Jesus appearing like one of the heavenly creatures. And on top of that, do you know who else was there? 
they were all alone, but suddenly the Old Testament figures of Elijah and Moses were there too. Two of the great prophets of God. Now, these were appropriate people to suddenly reappear because both Moses and Elijah met with God on a mountaintop. We read Moses' account when that happened earlier in our um, in our service. And so we've got Jesus in dazzling white clothes. We've got Elijah and Moses of days of old appear. And so what's going on? Well, just like Moses got a glimpse of God's glory on the mountaintop, as we read, Peter, James and John are getting... They're getting a bit more than a glimpse, aren't they? They're getting a full view of Jesus' glory. Here on this mountaintop, Jesus' glory breaks through. These disciples get a glimpse of Jesus' true reality, his true identity. His appearance was a symbol of the glory that Jesus possesses. So let's have a look at that. Let's have a look at the glory of Jesus. So this brief manifestation of glory was not a new glory suddenly given to Jesus. It was a glimpse into the glory that Jesus already had. So we have, you know, in this story, the sun is on this earth. People saw him. He looked like just another human. But before the sun walked on the earth, He was and always has been the eternal Son of God the Father. And so we read in Hebrews that the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So the Son has the glory of God the Father and he has since eternity. As God the Father is glorious in his power, in his wisdom, in his goodness, So the Son is glorious because he is in very nature God. And the three disciples get a glimpse of this glory of the eternal Son. Imagine seeing that. Just imagine. When one of the three, John, reflects on this moment, he writes, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the transfiguration, we get a glimpse at the glory that Jesus always has as the Son of God. But also, this was a glimpse into the glory that Jesus will have when he comes into his kingdom. You see, at the very start of the chapter, that intriguing verse, he said, he said to them, verse one, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Well, the sum there were the three. And the transfiguration was when they saw the kingdom of God coming. And so when Jesus was transfigured, it's a foretaste. It's a glimpse into the age. When, as Matthew records it, the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. This view of Jesus 
uh, is what the whole world will see when he comes in all his heavenly glory, when he comes as judge of the whole earth, and when he comes to bring his people to eternal glory. And so in this bit of God's word that we're reading today, Jesus' transfiguration is a preview of what's to come when God's Son will come in glory, consummate his kingdom. But of course, this kingdom only comes through his death and resurrection, which is why in verse 9 it says, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And so during Jesus' earthly ministry, and to most people, his glory was hidden. There's an old song that we used to sing in church, I did, uh, back in the day. It says of Jesus, he entered our world, his glory veiled. That is, during Jesus' earthly ministry, his glory was behind a veil, it was hidden. Maybe you see glimpses of it when he healed people or when in his teaching or when he walked on water, but in this moment, for these three disciples, they saw Jesus' glory. His eternal glory from the beginning as God the Son and the glory that he will have when he comes in his kingdom. And so let's see now how the eyewitnesses react to Jesus' glory. Uh, well, as you read through this account, sadly it's another case of, oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. Last week, we saw Peter quick to impress but slow to comprehend, getting Jesus wrong about what kind of Messiah he is. And once again, Peter misses the mark a little bit about Jesus. Have a look at verse 5. Verse 5, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I love, I love Mark's, the author's little comment here. It says, he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. I think that's why, you know, that little verse convinces me that uh, this story is not made up, that it's not uh, a fabricated story later on, because... Mark was a, the author, was a traveling companion of Peter. And Peter would not have let this go down into his biography of Jesus if it didn't actually happen. Anyway, that's what I, that's what I think. Uh, but so, anyway, Peter's not looking all that great. I think we should give him a, a bit of slack. You know, in the presence of the transfigured Jesus, fair enough to be terrified and have, uh, nothing to say. Uh, of course, I haven't seen the transfigured Jesus. I have seen the Governor General of Australia, not quite on the same level of glory, but still an important person. Uh, I was I was in Year Seven, and I he came to our school, and I was part of a guard of honour, you know, lining lining the way for the Governor General. And uh, uh, I was surprisingly um, relatively tall in Year Seven. I grew early, and that might have been why the Governor General singled me out, because I was a head above um, most other people. And when he came to talk to me, I just 
froze, you know, you were told to address him as your excellency, I definitely did not do that. Um, he asked if I played basketball, fortunately I did, but then he wanted to talk about how long basketball's been at school, at the, at the school, I have no idea, and all I could muster was kind of monosyllabic answers, that was all I could do. Uh, so I get, I get, I, Peter, I'm gonna cut you some slack, that is, yes, in, in front of the transfigured Jesus, not gonna be too harsh on you. And also, he was a little bit theological at this point. Peter was thinking a little bit, because he says, let's put up three shelters. Do you know what another word for shelter is in the Bible? Tabernacle. It's the same word used, Old Testament to New Testament, for tabernacle. Uh, Peter was saying, uh, well, with Jesus, Moses and Elijah here, let's build tabernacles. Because let's go back to our last series in Exodus, uh, the tabernacle was where the glory of God was dwe- uh, dwelt. And so Peter was thinking, well, with all this happening, God is dwelling again. Let's build a new place for God to dwell. But from what we can see in the text, Jesus just ignores him. The, the story just moves on. He ignores this suggestion. Because what Peter didn't understand was, God wasn't going to return to a tent. He wasn't going to go back to being uh, dwelling in a physical building. But instead, he was coming now, dwelling with his people in the person of Jesus. God didn't need a physical place to dwell with his people, but Jesus himself was how God dwells with his people. The glory of God no longer fills the tabernacle It fills Jesus. And so it's God himself who shows us how to respond to the glory of Jesus. Again, if you're there in Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, have a look at verse 7, Mark 9, 7. What happens next is, then a cloud appeared and covered them. Ooh, cloud again. Remember our Exodus series? What happened when clouds came? The clouds were there when God appears. Remember, he appeared in a pillar of cloud that led Israel through the desert. Or uh, he a cloud covered Moses on Mount Sinai. Or when the tabernacle was fi- finished, uh, the cloud of the glory of God filled it. And so here we have a cloud coming on the top of this mountain. Keep going in verse 7. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. So this echoes what God said in Jesus' baptism, where it said, you are my son whom I love. God confirms that this man, Jesus, is the eternal son of God, just in case the dazzling white clothes weren't enough. But then God the Father says, listen to him. Listen to him. It's as if God was saying, Peter, You didn't listen to Jesus when he said the Messiah must suffer and die. Listen to him. That's the way of the Messiah. Or disciples, are you beginning to doubt that living a life of self-denial is worth it? Listen to him. Listen to him when he says, whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So maybe today, maybe God is saying to you, 
my child, are you beginning to doubt that a life of self-denial is worth it? Is life getting too hard? Is the life of comfort too appealing? Is a life of obedience unsatisfying? Listen to Jesus. He is my son. He has the words of eternal life. But this is hard, isn't it? It's hard to listen to Jesus. Particularly because the three disciples saw the glory of Jesus firsthand. I reckon we're a bit more like the other nine down at the bottom of the mountain who didn't see Jesus transfigured. They had to rely on the testimony of Peter, James and John, if and when they did spill the beans about what they saw. And so we too have to rely on the testimony of these disciples. Actually, later in life, Peter, one of the three, shared of his extraordinary mountaintop experience and when he talks about the authority that he has as an apostle. In his second letter that he wrote, he said, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. He's saying, no, we're not making this up. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were there. He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. He's recalling the transfiguration. So no, we are legitimate eyewitnesses. We've seen his glory. Our message is from him. But still, we have not seen the glory of Jesus firsthand. So like the other nine disciples, we're going to need faith. We're going to need to trust that Jesus really is the Son of God in all his glory. But what would it look like if we didn't trust that? What would it look like to not see Jesus in all his glory? Well, maybe we might not see the glory of Jesus in the times that we're arrogant or proud, when we think we can do life just fine by ourselves, when we work in our own strength. We don't see Jesus in all his glory and the truth that actually we do anything through his strength. What else might it look like not to trust in Jesus and all his glory? Or maybe if, uh, maybe in times when we're hurting or afraid or when things aren't going the way that we'd hoped. We might think that we're all alone, that God isn't there to help or that he has even, that he has it in for me or he's not doing anything. Well, in those moments, we don't see Jesus in all his glory. Jesus in all his glory is ruling on God's throne. Your situation is not out of his control. He is there with you, whatever you're going through. And we might not see the glory of Jesus when we sin, 
Uh, so maybe you've just heard a piece of information about someone, maybe what someone did to someone else, and uh, you just have to share it, even though it might be damaging to that person. Maybe if the transfigured Jesus was standing right next to you, you might think twice about the words you use. Or you're watching TV or you're on your phone and it's gone beyond watching for entertainment purposes, but you're just there to lust after those on the screen. Maybe if the transfigured Jesus was on the couch right next to you, maybe think twice about what you watch. Or when you know of someone that could really use a welcoming smile or an encouraging phone call or something practical, but it's just a bit hard or, oh, they're just too needy or it's a bit inconvenient right now. If the transfigured Jesus was by your side, ready to commend you, you may be inspired to help and to love. A part of our new church vision is to see all kinds of people encounter Jesus. And we're going to need to start encountering Jesus in all his glory ourselves so that through us, others may encounter the glory of Jesus also. And so through the eyes of faith, let's see Jesus in all his glory. Let's listen to him by listening to the apostles in the Bible and trust that he is who he is. He's not merely a man. He is the Son of God. He is worth denying ourselves and following. And of course, all the more than even the three apostles who saw him, because we now know that Jesus is risen from the dead and that he will return in glory. Uh, Well, let me leave you with a final word of comfort as we walk the joyous but hard road of discipleship of Jesus. We see in our little passage that we're not expected to do this alone. The one who calls us to follow him does not abandon us for his glory. He was willing to give up his glory to be with us. And we see this in this passage. Have a look at verse 8. Moses and Elijah have appeared. Jesus is transfigured. The clouds come with a, a voice from heaven. And then suddenly... Verse 8, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And what is true for them then is still true for us now. These words are from commentator R. Hughes, Kent Hughes. This is what all our experience, all our theology, all our work should come to, seeing only Jesus. When this happens, our hearts honour him in worship. We love all mankind as we ought. We give our lives in his service and we embrace the paradox of the cross. So this week, let us see Jesus in all his transfigured glory as we await his glorious return. Amen.